G'day, welcome to On The Road, the number one Australian trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're an independent voice in Australian trucking and proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Welcome to show number 155 and if you're listening to this early in the morning, say around 7.30 or 8 o'clock when the show comes out, I'm just sitting down in Alice Springs having breakfast. If you're listening to it about lunchtime, I'm thinking about getting on a plane to come back to Sydney. What I haven't been doing is I haven't been at home making a podcast with my mate Andy, going through the news and doing all that stuff that I normally do. No live show on the Saturday night or anything. What I've been doing is I've been out at Alice Springs for the Hall of Fame reunion over the weekend and for the inaugural presentation of the History Makers Award to the guys that started the Razorback Blockade all the way back in April 1979. I'd like to say it's been a hell of a weekend because I'm sure it has been. Uh, Lots and lots of gears grabbed and millions of kilometres done over a beer at the the bar there and it will have been absolutely wonderful. So I prevailed on our mate Andy to do a bit of a music show again, a music special and a little bit of comedy stuff. Andy's very, very good at digging all this sort of stuff up. I really do appreciate his work. It's going to be a great show. I know that because Andy always turns out a great show for us. Stay tuned. We'll have more about the Hall of Fame and everything in the next podcast. We'll be talking about it on Facebook via Truck and Life and all that sort of thing. Take care out there. I'll see you on the road. Here's Andy. Let's get this show on the road. Yes, get on with it. Thanks, Mike. Well, once again, while the lads are out on the road doing important trucking stuff, I'm here keeping the home fires burning with another special episode to keep you entertained and amused until they get back next week. We've got a great feature interview for you this week with the living legend of Australian music, Mr Johnny Chester. That's coming up a little later in the show. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy some hilarious comedy from Carl Barron, Trevor Noah and Adam Hills, along with great new music from Nathan May, Tammy Moxon, Hayley Jensen and Andy Penkow. To kick us off, here's Hayley Jensen with her brand new track, Rock Bottom. You took me down, down, with you take me home smile.
South African comedian Trevor Noah relates his experiences as he visits Australia for the first time. This is, uh, this is my first time in Australia and I must say I'm enjoying it. After two days of travelling to get here, I, I finally arrived and it's, it's a, quite a quaint place. Um, it wasn't supposed to take me that long, we were delayed. Um, first delay was, was uh, I got to the airport in Johannesburg, I was on a Qantas flight and they said, oh, sorry sir, there's a bit of a delay. I said, how long? They said, 24 hours. <laughs> so well, that's not a delay, that's cancellation. <laughs> so it's another day. So they said, come back tomorrow. I came back the next day and then we tried it again and this time we were on the plane and there was another delay of about four to five hours where we were stuck on the tarmac and the plane couldn't take off because the aeroplane wasn't balanced. I've never heard of that in my life. <laughs> that's what the pilot said. And like, because he's a pilot, we believe him. He just, he just said it. Because the pilot sounds serious when they're saying it. He came on, he said, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a bit of a problem on the plane. Uh, don't know what's going on. Seems like uh, it's not uh, balanced. But we'll, uh, we'll have to check on what's going on and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we know. <laughs> and I won't lie. As soon as he said that, I looked at the fat people. But not, not in a bad way, not in a bad way, just in an objective manner, like, hey, you guys, you can't sit together. You need to sit one on, yeah, the plane. Probably you, it's probably you. But yeah, so we were flying, so we flew. Uh, so flew from Johannesburg to, to Sydney. Sydney, you come in, um, and then you have to leave the airport and then go back into the airport to fly. Uh, you go through border control. Very friendly. I must say, Australia, I'm very impressed. Very friendly border control. You guys are very chilled out, very cool. Like, visa's not, not really, like, needed, sort of. It is, but not, like, the, do you have your visa? No, well, all right, well, you know? I learned the secret to getting through uh, from a few Chinese men that were ahead of me is that you just have to irritate the border police, and then they just let you in. There's a guy ahead of me, and the woman was asking him, excuse me, sir, where are you gonna be staying in Australia? No, where are you staying? He like, kangaroo, kangaroo. Kan no, sir, where are you staying? Kangaroo, kangaroo. No, no, sir, you can't, no, it's not like, where are you gonna be staying? Kangaroo, kangaroo. All right, just go in, just go in, just go. I just came in. He was just like, it was fantastic, it was fantastic. Yes, and he had this look when he got to the other side, like, it works every time. It just, you know, this knowing look about him. So we, you come in, and, and, and it seems too easy, because it is, because the border control is very chilled, but then you get like to the customs, which is the most hardcore place in the world. I don't know what the hell happened in Australia, but you guys need to chill out when it comes to fruit. People are standing there being strip shirts. Where did you get the apple? I don't care if you can't speak English. You're gonna spend a week in quarantine, mate. Where did you get the apple? I don't care, I don't care. Where's the apple from? You see people, it's like, there was a guy that was stopped for weed. Is that marijuana? Well, don't do it again, but you with the apple. Back to where you came from. What, what did fruit do to your country? It's such a weird place getting used to Australia because you finally come in and then you can't understand anybody. You really, really can't because, because like you guys say you speak English, but it's not. It's like you, like, you, like you try, but then I couldn't tell. Like sometimes it actually sounds like it's Chinese. I used to hear people making jokes about, oh, there's all these Chinese, but, but then when you come, you don't know if the Australians are Chinese or not Chinese. Like, because it sounds the same to me, especially like a very deep Australian accent. Very, like people say things, oh, yeah, how you go? Oh, yeah, 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 oh, ye
I don't know what's going on here, man. This is, this is very... And then the phrases I do understand don't make sense, like, uh, like positive phrases, like apparently, apparently she'll be right. I don't know who she is and how she applies to me, but this is very important to say in Australia. Uh, you also feel it's very important to tell everybody that you have no worries. Yeah, this is, I didn't ask you about your life's philosophy, I just asked you how you were on the day. And you, oh, no worries, no worries. Really, not even one, not even one worry? Really, Australia, are things that good here? No, not, not even one, not even prostate cancer, not even one, not even North Korea, because those guys are close, I'm just saying. Not even, not even one worry, yeah. Yeah, and the, the, the strangest one, and this is something I've learned, which I wish you'd teach people before they come, is uh, the correct answer to the phrase, how you going, is not by aeroplane. <laughs> I, um, I feel it's strange to ask people this when they're traveling. I was, I was flying with Sydney, and then we were going from, to Melbourne, and I got to the counter, and I said to the woman, hi, I'm going to Melbourne, please. And she said, oh yeah, how you going? I said, by aeroplane. <laughs> that is why I've chosen this building over here to be traveling in. And she said, no, no, I was greeting you. And I said, oh, no worries. <laughs> you guys have been great. Thanks for having me. Have a good night. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. Here's Aussie troubadour Andy Penkow with his new single that highlights the rich history and culture of the New South Wales town of Coonabarabran. The track's called Aussie Rain. I've been driving for hours now Through the dusty plains and endless roads Heading to nowhere to play a show for no one The kids are out in the sun Riding their bikes down the street again Without a care in the world laughing out loud The town clock sits on the corner Each year it's getting older Made with stone and names etched in history this old town has seen better days The land was taken away Soldier gave his life so he could be free Finally it's raining in Kuna The ground seems so happy to see the rain The Kasurei River has never looked better It's flown down to Binaway Gay and I wonder about the Dreamtime story When the Murray first fled out to the sea As I unpack my guitar, I get the gear out the car I'm exactly where I'm meant to be 
Lucky I can call this land my home Let the Aussie rain wash the dust off me As I sit on the stage with my guitar in this old rundown bar, I hear the knock 'em dead rains hit the tin roof. The lady running the show, she's one tough cookie, as you know. I think she could be bulletproof. There's an old man in the corner, he's wearing a tanner Cobra, drinking Johnny's trade, he has cracked and worn hands. As I finish my last song, he stands up, tilts his hat, is gone. He hits the country mile again. Finally, it's raining in Kuna. The ground seems so happy to see the rain. The Castlereagh River has never looked better. It's flowing down a bit away again. As I unpack my guitar, get the gear out the car. I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. As I pack up my guitar, I get back in the car. Hit up the new well to Maury. Lucky I can call this land my home. Let the Aussie rain wash the dust off me. Time for another laugh with one of our favourite Aussie comedians, Carl Barron. I went out with a doctor once. It's no big deal, but I was a roof tiler from Queensland. I was 21 and I met her in London when we come back to Australia. I was hanging around all the doctor friends and they were all posh and educated and shit. <laughs> and I was going to dinner parties for, for the first time. Do you want to go to a dinner party, Carl? I went... Have <laughs> been to a dinner party? I mean... Up at that point in my life, I'd had smoker on two bricks. <laughs> I didn't know, this is not a joke, I didn't know until I was 21 that you don't shake a bottle of wine before you pour it. <laughs> I'll never forget the look on their face when I put my thumb over the hole. <laughs> They're all looking at me going, what are you doing? I said, mixing it in. I said, why? I said, there's all those chunky bits down the bottom. Have a look at that. <laughs> they thought it was a joke. No, I didn't know until I was 21 that some people have a problem with the word use. What are you doing? You know that one? Found out the hard way. I said, what are you doing tomorrow? Some smartass goes, we're not sheep. <laughs> right, eh? <laughs> I give up. What are you? I knew something was wrong, so I, do, so I did what any self-respecting bloke would do in that situation, sat at the end of the table by myself and got absolutely shit-faced. 
Started talking to myself. I'm a sheep. <laughs> yeah, you think you're funny when you're pissed? And look on the menu, guys. The only thing that doesn't cost anything is a gluten. It's free. <laughs> My girlfriend's going, shut up. What's wrong with you? I've got worms. <laughs> Get home, she was spewing. You embarrassed me in front of all my friends. So what, when I got blind? No, the way you talk. You sound like a jobbo. <laughs> I said, so? Which bit? When you said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, what's the mystery? <laughs> you know when I say, what are you doing tomorrow? You know very well I mean, what are all of you going to do tomorrow? <laughs> she said, it's not a proper word. It's not in the dictionary. It's not in that dictionary. I mean, that, that's how words end up in the dictionary. If enough people say the wrong word, they stick it in there. <laughs> Everybody says it. Use. Collective noun. <laughs> All of your friends. <laughs> no, I mean, look, some people like it. Some people don't like it. You know, I don't, I don't care. I'm dead soon. You know, life's short. I don't worry about it. I still say use. It wasn't my fault. I, was surrounded by people who said use when I was young. One of our Miss Universe entrants came from uh, years ago, Townsville. Oh, I forget her name. The other girl who won it, Jennifer Hawking, she comes from uh, Newcastle. It's a bit of a theme. The biggest spunk rats we've got come from these real yobbo towns. <laughs> Townsville, hello. I mean, you go back from Miss Universe, well, you go to the national and the state, and you go back to the regionals, you know, they come from somewhere like Townsville. Here comes Miss Townsville. <laughs> Accepting the prize with a keg on her shoulder. <laughs> Doesn't sound very exotic, Miss Townsville. It's like saying, please welcome to the stage, Miss Gimpy. <laughs> Runner-up, Miss Anala. <laughs> Smash your face in. Yeah, I've done my homework. <laughs> Life can be tough, and these last few years have shown that sometimes a little extra help can go a long way. Health in Gear is brought to you by the OzHelp Foundation, and we're here to support the drivers and workers in the transport and logistics industry, bringing you roadside health checks and free support and counselling for workers and their families through the 24-7 phone line 1-800-IN-GEAR. Remember, you don't have to face the road ahead alone. Health in Gear are here for the long haul, supporting your mental health and preventing suicide across Australia. Check out healthingear.com.au. Imagine being able to include in your resume that your career began way back in 1961. You'd performed on the same stage as the Beatles, a support act on their tour of Australia and New Zealand in 1964. Add to that a total of 40 plus albums, more than 50 singles and 50 odd compilation albums to your name. You've had hit after hit after hit, voted top country male vocalist for three years in succession with a career spanning decades. 
And then through all of that, you've remained a modest, all-round good bloke, much loved by Australians of all ages. Imagine that. Well, our special guest this week has achieved all of that and way too much more to mention here in just a simple introduction. Having started out as a bona fide rock and roller, over time as that took its toll on his voice, he moved into country music where he noticed that, in his words, people were actually listening to the words. I'd never had that before. Throughout his long and distinguished career, he's been a recording artist and singer-songwriter, has worked with such music royalty as the Beatles, Roy Orbison, Dion, the Everly Brothers, Kenny Rogers, Tammy Wynette, Johnny Cash, Roger Miller, Freddie Fender, Charlie Pride, the list seems to have no end. In addition to his huge success as a recording artist, he was a producer of the hit national TV show Commotion and worked on many others. He toured as an entertainer for the Australian and American forces in Vietnam, worked as a disc jockey on Aussie radio, and won no less than three golden guitars at the Country Music Awards. At one stage, he owned a general store in Sorrento in Victoria, fronted legendary bands like the Jay Woods, the Phantoms, the Chessmen, the Thunderbirds, the Southerly Buskers, and of course, Jigsaw. He's a self-confessed dag who is always up for a joke and loves to talk or ramble, as he puts it. He's still producing great music after all these years. The song you're listening to right now is off his recent album, What You Hear Is What You Get. So how about I stop talking about him and start chatting with him? Folks, it's my absolute pleasure and privilege to introduce you to the man affectionately known as Chess by his legion of adoring fans, Mr. Johnny Chester. I might be over 50, but I'm not done yet. I might be over 50, but I'm not done yet. I'm really over 60, but I'm not done yet. No. Johnny, good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Andy. Look, after that wonderful introduction, I don't know I can live up to any of that. I think you already have, mate. But uh, anyway, I'm glad I wrote it for you and you read it beautifully. <laughs> Johnny, since the release of your first single, Hokey Pokey, in 1961, you've had a seemingly endless list of hits across the years. And although it wasn't your first hit, Shame and Scandal in the Family, which went to number one around Australia in 71, would have to be the song that really made Australia and the rest of the world really sit up and take notice of Johnny Chester. Would that be a fair thing to say? I would imagine so. The funny thing is, you, you say, you know, a number one record, but, you know, it wasn't even played in Sydney. Mm. I don't think it was even played in Adelaide. Wow. But it was it was number one everywhere else. Yeah. It, you know, every other capital, I should say. Yeah. And out in the scrub... We didn't realise it at the time, of course, because I wasn't touring anywhere near as extensively as I did you know, later on. Yeah. But the country radio stations jumped on it and, and everything I seemed to record through the 70s. It's quite an amazing thing. Through the country areas, it was very big, but we'd go into Sydney and people would go, oh, yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a good song. Where'd that come from? You yeah, know, yeah. It wasn't really until I did a song called Midnight Bus, I think 2UW back in the day jumped on that and it charted in the bottom register. Right. And then I did a song called Gwen Congratulations and same thing, UW jumped on it. And uh, of course, The World's Greatest Mum leapt up and that was probably more than any other, the one that really got things going for me in New South Wales. But yeah. everywhere else, Shame and Scandal, as you said, was the one that really opened doors and a funny story, about 20 years ago, I got an email from a chap in Alaska, 
and he was doing some research on the song Shame and Scandal, and he told me it was actually two songs that had been put together, and they were two West Indian Calypso folk songs, and somebody had put them together, and the actual songs were over 200 years old. Oh, wow. So it goes back a long, long way. Quite an amazing song, Shame and Scandal, and still gets a lot of airplay. And as you say, these days, with downloads and all that stuff, it gets picked up all around the world. Quite fascinating. It is a wonderful song. We'll play a bit of it right now. Well, he went to his mama and covered his head. He told his mama what his daddy had said. But mommy just laughed and said, go man, go. Your daddy ain't your daddy, but your daddy don't know. Whoa, it's me. Shame and scandal in the family. Oh, wow, it's me. Shame and scandal in the family. Now, not everyone can lay claim to having been the support act for the Beatles on their amazing 1964 tour of Australia and New Zealand. What a mind-blowing experience that must have been. What was it like for you? You must have a lot of amazing memories from that tour. I'd really only been recording for not quite four years when the Beatles came to Australia and, yeah. and we were all of a similar age and whilst their world started to go berserk at that point, mm. but it really went berserk after that when they went and did the Shea Stadium in America and the world really latched on to the Beatles. But at that time, in June of 1964, they were four young blokes that, like myself, had worked in clubs and dances and whatever you did to survive in those days. Down the hard yards, yeah. Yeah, and, and then all of a sudden the whole thing exploded. But they hadn't changed. It was wonderful because I didn't know what to expect. I think when they arrived in Australia, they had the top six singles on the top 40. Like, mm. they were bigger than anything you can imagine. Mm. Not even Elvis had that sort of impact in that short time. Yeah. But we all ate together and we all flew in the same plans and we stayed in, mostly in the same pubs where it was possible. So that was the sort of memories that I have. Mm. There was only the odd occasion that we actually got to sit down and have a chat, but we did do that. I never did get to meet Ringo, because not being there for the first shows in Adelaide, when all the introductions were done and we, you know, how are you, and shake your hand and all that sort of stuff. Mm. He wasn't there, so Ringo and I sort of would nod in the corridor and hello, and as he went on stage or whatever, and that was the only involvement. But George and and John particularly, we had several conversations. Paul, once again, always the PR man of the band, was doing what he did extremely well, always pleasant and all of that, but he used to work the room all the time. It was just an amazing experience in 54 years now, but it's still, in my mind, probably one of the most amazing things I've ever been involved in, even though I was uh, very much, as to say, a support part of it. But then back in those days, they needed support because they were only doing 30 minutes on stage. Yeah. So people paid their 35 and 6, yeah. $3.55 for the ticket. They needed more than half an hour, you know, as far as that show goes. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be nice now if we only paid that much for concerts? Johnny, is there truth in the story that at one stage there, because I believe you set up your own special light show for the tour and it was a little bit different. I think you had some glow-in-the-dark clothing. 
Is it true that John Lennon actually made a comment quite expletive written, I believe? He did, in fact. When I was offered the tour, I knocked it back because they wouldn't let me take my own band. Oh, wow. So I, you know, after having my family and my band and everybody I was associated with jump up and down and say, you're an idiot. Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. This is the biggest thing that could ever happen. Yeah. I sort of reneged and I thought about what I could do to make my part of the show because I only did four songs. It wasn't like it was a huge show that I was doing. Mm. I thought I'm only out there for 12 minutes or something. I better do something that might be memorable. So that's why I took my own lighting. Because in those days, as you can imagine, I had a suitcase with a small spotlight and ultraviolet lights to uh, light the band for a particular song. And I carried that on and off the plane and and everywhere, you know, along with my suitcase. So I I was my own roadie, but that's the way it was. Like even the Beatles, you know, only had Mel Evans, who was their road manager. It was up to him to set up their gear and all that stuff, but you know he wasn't like a sound engineer or anything. We all relied on the PA at the room and the lighting at the room, and you never got a chance to talk to anybody and say, oh, could you do this for me? Mm. It had to be done from the stage. Yeah. You know, I needed the lights turned out, so I had to say to the, the lighting guy, excuse me, but could you turn the lights out? <laughs> <laughs> that was the way it was. What a wonderful time it must have been. And you mentioned just before the song The World's Greatest Mum. That was another monster hit for you and arguably the song for which you're best known. I guess as soon as you release a sweet, loving song about mum, you really can't go wrong, can you? The world loves any bloke who loves his mum and isn't afraid to say so. So we'll have a little listen to a bit of The World's Greatest Mum now and we'll come back on that. I remember oh so clearly I was just a little boy Our mom was there to guide me To turn sorrow into joy And no matter what the problem She could always put it right Beyond all the 24 hours Through every day and night So put your hands together So where did that song come from, Chess? What's the background to it? Uh, well, as you mentioned, it was 1973. At that stage, I was working at 3UZ in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Come off here, I was no longer regularly on air. I'd done the Midnight to Dawn for two and a half years, and that was enough. And so I started to work in other areas at the station. Mm. Amongst them was promotional work. And this particular promotion was over the summertime for Coca-Cola, for Fanta. Mm -hmm. And anyway, we had a double-decker bus that the boss had bought to use as a promotional vehicle. And I had a band at the time called Jigsaw. And I was there as sort of the, the host of the beach broadcast. And the band was set up on the roof of the bus. So we had the double-decker bus with the, with the roof cut off and, and sort of a, a canopy put on it. And we performed up there. And then we'd have beach games, you know, sort of races up and down and beach volleyball and well, just all the stuff to entertain the people. Yeah. And then we'd give away these prizes that Coca-Cola had provided, T-shirts and beach balls and all sorts of stuff that the sales department would scare up. 
And amongst them were these little statuettes. I don't know why they were there, but they were. And there was one for, like, it had a fella sitting there with a broken golf stick and it had a little thing underneath it saying, the world's worst golfer. And then uh, another one had a fisherman standing there with a little fish on the end of his fishing line and, you know, the world's worst fisherman sort of thing. And then they had this little one with a lady and underneath that it had the world's greatest mum. Right. Anyway, part of my job at 3UZ was programming the Jimmy Hannon request program, Mm -hmm. and every day we would get a request for a song for mum, mum's birthday or just to tell her I love her or whatever. Mm. And, of course, in those days we had a song called Mama by Connie Francis and a song called Mama by BJ Thomas, Mm -hmm. and we had a song called I'm Your Little Boy by a Dutch kid named Heinchi. And they were the only things that we had in the library, so Vegas got played and played, and we would just alternate those. Mm -hmm. So when I picked up this little thing, I thought, there's a song title in this. So on the way back from where we were playing uh, down on Port Phillip, I sat down and wrote the lyrics to The World's Greatest Mum. And while I was writing that, I was composing the melody in my head. And when I got home, I sung it onto a cassette. And probably about two weeks later, I went into Ron Tudor at Fable Records and said to Ron, look, that song that we were going to do, he'd already picked out a song for you to do for my next single. Mm. We'd done the band track and everything like that. I said... I don't want to do that. I've got this other one. And Jude, being the marvellous person he was to work for and work with, said, well, okay. He didn't even ask me what it was. He just said, okay, go ahead. So I presented it to him and said, there you go. And he said, oh, great. We'll get that out for Mother's Day. And I said, no, don't bring it out for Mother's Day. He said, why not? I said, could you bring it out just before Mother's Day? It'll get played after Mother's Day and then get dropped like a hot spot. Yes. I said, what about we release it a fortnight after Mother's Day? It'll give us something to talk about. And then next Mother's Day, we release the album. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, it was wonderful. He would trust you. He'd go in and that band track that I told you about, we'd have had a full orchestra on it. Mm-hmm. So it had been an expensive exercise. But he never even questioned when I said I had something I thought would work better. So we released it after Mother's Day and radio said, why didn't you do it for Mother's Day? (laughs) You know, of course. But of course, being request radio around at that time, it just took off. And I think in Newcastle, I think it was on the chart for 12 months. It was only actually only beaten by bands on the run from Paul McCartney, funnily enough. Right. So it was uh, just one of those songs that was there at the right time. Yeah. Well, it certainly stood the test of time. Now, you've shared the stage with so many absolute icons of the music world. Is there any one particular experience of working with these folk that was, for you, just really special that makes you smile whenever you think back on it? As you mentioned, I've worked with some of the biggest names in the world, Mm. but probably when I got to work with and meet Johnny Cash, because Johnny Cash had been a hero of mine musically since probably about 1956 or something like that. And to be standing in front of him, shaking his hand, and he was quite an imposing figure. Mm. He was a fairly big man, probably six foot and maybe a little bit bigger. But he used to wear two and a half, three-inch Cuban heels on his boots, so that made him even taller. He used to dress in black, of course, which kind of like meeting Darth Vader without his helmet. (laughs) And I really was in awe of Johnny Cash. 
and I think back of all the people that I met and worked with and all the situations over the years yeah. and I still smile about that because I was a fan and I was completely in awe of him yeah. and he was very nice, he was very polite and we had a, you know, a short chat, you wouldn't call it a conversation even, it was just you know, yeah. how are you and uh, are you enjoying the show, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I often smile about that. It was a wonderful experience too. Was there any particular artist or band that you would really love to have worked with but the opportunity never came up to make it happen? Not really, but there's many I would have really liked to have seen live. You know, like Elvis, of course, yes. would have been wonderful to see. Linda Ronstadt, I've always loved what she did. Oh, yeah. Emmy Lou Harris. Mm. And Bob Seger, who's never been to Australia, but I think he would be a great performer to see live. Oh, yeah. You know, I'd put him up there with the Bruce Springsteens and the Rolling Stones and just one of those performers that I've always loved the music that he made. Yes. Apparently he doesn't like to fly. Mm. I can relate to that. Yes, me too. Now, if you don't mind me sharing, you're now 76 years of age. What's happening in your world these days? I no longer perform live. I figure I annoyed enough people over the years. <laughs> but I still love to write, still like to record. I release probably a couple of singles a year. Mostly they're ignored. <laughs> uh, community radio give them a run. And programs like yourself, which is most appreciated. And I have my own little record label and publishing company. I've been buying back all my back catalogue, so I now own all that I recorded. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, they're all up on iTunes and Spotify and all these other places I don't understand, but they're out there available, and every month I get a list of the places where it's been either downloaded or streamed, and it's just amazing where you see these places that you can, in many cases, struggle to pronounce. Yeah. Countries all over the world, literally, where they're buying songs and not necessarily the ones that I would think they would. You know, yeah. there's songs of mine that, that have been picked up literally hundreds and hundreds of times and maybe thousands of times. You know, they weren't hits here. They were just songs that might have been on an album that for some reason in who knows where, uh, appealed to people. It resonated with them. Yeah, yeah, it's quite lovely to think that somebody shows an interest like that. Understandably. It certainly makes sure you'll never be forgotten. What do you attribute to being the secret to the longevity of your career in the music industry? Well, firstly, I suppose some very, very loyal people that have stuck with me from day one, even before I started recording. Yeah. And then from a professional point of view... I suppose I've been very fortunate to get a variety of work within the entertainment business. You've mentioned before about the television production and radio and record production, songwriting, all those things that I've been fortunate to be able to do. And also I work cheap. Okay. Jess, what has been the highlight of your career and has there been ever a, a low point for you? I suppose professionally, the low point came in 1965 when I decided I was going to have a crack at this business properly. I thought, I've got to have something to aim for, you know, a reason to get up in the morning. Mm. So I decided that it was going to be a national television show. I thought if I put that as my goal, it would be unachievable, but at least I've got some direction. Yes. So that was what I chose to do. In 63, I had the opportunity to host a television program 
and on regional television down in Gippsland, and it was called Teen Time on Ten, and everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So sets used to fall down. It was just, <laughs> yeah. but it was marvellous experience. And in fact, the producer of that show was Rob Weeks, who ended up being executive producer of Countdown, and it was my first gig as a compare. And so that was good. But then I chose to end my involvement. Then the Beatles came along, and then, of course, my manager at the time organised for me to meet the ABC in Sydney while I was there with the Beatles. Well, it's a pretty strong introduction. I come in on their shirt tails, so the uh, executive at the ABC were most impressed with that. So I said, I've got this idea for a television show, and basically it was Six O'Clock Rock with a different name. It wasn't anything original, but they went, what a great idea. <laughs> so next minute, I've got my national television show. Went to 64 and went into 65, and then it finished. Yeah. And I hadn't planned beyond that. So I went from, I think at the time I was earning 200 quid a week or something like that, which in 1965 was a pretty fair whack. And sort of after two series, I was earning nothing. So Liz and I were really struggling financially. So that was probably the lowest point professionally. And then in a personal thing, I suppose uh, we, we nearly lost our daughter in 1973. She contracted encephalitis. Oh, dear. And she was in a coma for five weeks. She was a very bright two-year-old when she caught this thing, and when she came out of it, she was deaf, dumb, blind, and crippled. And they had no idea whether she'd come out of it. Mm. So that was a pretty tough time. I was a full-time musician, so Mm. I had to jump up on stage and do what you got to do. Sally's married now. She has two lovely children. I can't say all's well with Enslow because it still affects me like you wouldn't believe. Getting to your own personal taste, you touched on it a little bit before, who would be your favourite band or artist? I don't know that I've got an absolute favourite. It would be old-time rock and roll and country music up to probably the 80s. I think anything beyond that I'm not really into. I still love acoustic country music Mm. and bluegrass and stuff like that. Mm. But mostly, yeah, good old rock and roll. I think it just shows where I came from. Yes. That was the music of my misspent youth. (laughs) And it's still the music of my misspent older years. Adulthood, yeah. (laughs) So, Johnny, if you could be anyone else other than yourself, who would you want to be? Well, they've got a couple, really. I, I guess at the moment I'd like to be the person who helped to irrigate Australia. Mm. It can be done, I'm sure. Remember Richard Pratt wanted to try and do it years ago and it's going to need a corporation or a combination of corporations to do it, but I'm sure it can be done. Yeah. And the other thing I'd like to be is the person who could convince a nationwide radio network that an all-Australian music policy could work. Yes. We've got some fantastic performers in Australia Mm. and have had for many, many years. And in so many cases, they have to go overseas for Australia to discover what they've got. And by that time, they've moved on. Mm. And it's a bit of a shame, and yet radio just doesn't seem to think that it would work. And uh, I've tried in my own little fashion to get that to happen. Mm. Well, maybe more of us need to jump on the wagon behind you there and push for that. Mm. 
Folks, our special guest has been the larger-than-life Johnny Chester, Aussie music icon, singer, songwriter extraordinaire, and all-around good bloke. Chess, thanks for joining us today. It's been great getting to know the man behind the legend. You're very welcome, Andy. I appreciate it very much, and I hope your listeners have enjoyed our little time together. Absolutely sure they will have. All the best, mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I told her that my lunchtime was about to start. She said that she was very glad of that And as we walked together I lost my heart To this lady on the streets of Ballarat Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie I listen to On The Road podcast every week and when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. With a sound all her own, here's a rising new star on the Aussie music scene. Her name is Tammy Moxon, and here's her latest single, Comfy.
Have you ever come up behind a caravan wearing a big green sticker that says I'm truck friendly? It's simply telling you that the driver you're following is a part of a growing safety-minded community of caravanners who actually want to help other road users, have a good understanding of safe towing practices and have a UHF radio switched on and ready to communicate. If you too want to be a part of the solution and not the problem, find out more about the great truck-friendly caravan road safety program by visiting their Facebook page or website at www.truckfriendly.com.au. Let's have another laugh with veteran Aussie funny man Adam Hills from The Last Leg talking about the difference between Australian and American comedy. In America, comedians are really slick. In America, comedians walk out on stage and they're like, hey, what's going on, LA? Has anyone been to the gym? I was at the gym yesterday. What's going on with the gym, right? And people go, yeah, we love the gym, man! And then like, here's your next act, Tommy Johnson. And the next act will come out and go, so I'm driving in my car yesterday. Anyone here have cars? You like cars? And they're, yeah, we love cars! <laughs> and I was in LA and they go, okay, here's your next act. He's from Australia, Adam Hills. And I'd come out and just go, oh, g'day. What's your name? Who are you? Let's get a picture. <laughs> and the crowd would be like, should he be here? <laughs> I'm not sure he's professional. I was told off by a Hollywood producer after the show one night. In the bar, this guy just came up to me in the bar and just went, you're doing it wrong, man. <laughs> what? You're doing it wrong, man. You gotta grab an audience. You gotta tell them what you do. What do you do? Oh, I tell stories. <laughs> what kind of storyteller are you, man? And I'm an Australian who tells stories. <laughs> I've honestly got nothing more than that. <laughs> well, what kind of Aussie are you then? What? what? This guy's going, you're in Hollywood, man. There are Aussies everywhere. You gotta grab an audience. You gotta, you gotta tell them what you do, where you're from, and where you fit in amongst every other Aussie in Hollywood. Can you do that? I was like, okay. <laughs> so the next night, this was my opening line. Uh, G'day, LA. Uh, my name's Adam. I'm from Australia. Uh, I'm less talented than Hugh Jackman, but more tolerant than Mel Gibson. <laughs> That's all I've got, people. I can't dance, but I quite like Jews. Hooray. <laughs> I think sometimes we try and impress Americans a little bit too much. I, I flew, I flew to LA on Air New Zealand. Now, has anyone here flown Air New Zealand recently? Okay, yes, what was the safety demonstration video when you flew? Bear Grylls, yes. <laughs> Honestly, these are the safety demonstration videos on Air New Zealand. A Couple of months ago, it was the entire cast of The Hobbit telling you what to do in case of an emergency. <laughs> You've seen it? I don't know what happens when the oxygen comes down. I'm assuming Gollum goes, Mine, precious. <laughs> I flew a couple of years ago, and when I flew, the safety demonstration video was performed by a man, an 80s fitness instructor by the name of Richard Simmons. <laughs> now, there's some recognition here. For those of you who don't know, he was the campest man on the planet before we knew what gay meant. <laughs> he would come out, Okay, let's get fit, everyone, and squeeze your tush and squeeze it and squeeze. <laughs> and we would all watch him going, his wife must be so happy. <gasps> he was doing the safety demonstration video on Air New Zealand, but he was doing it like that. There was pumping music, there was like <laughs> And he was in Lycra. Okay, let's get fit to fly. If you need oxygen, pull and breathe and pull and breathe. <laughs> and the whole plane going, oh my God. <laughs> I'm not kidding, at one point he said this. In case of an emergency, and to put your bags away, reach and slide. You're a giraffe. 
Now, this was all well and good because no one looked away. I mean, fair enough, everyone was paying attention, but I couldn't help thinking, this is Air New Zealand, and this was during the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> I said, why do you have to have an American? Couldn't you have had the All Blacks doing a haka? Do you know what I mean? 15 guys in rugby jerseys, the safety demonstration video starts and they just go, your exits, your exits are here and here. And to take us home on this week's show, one of Adelaide's hardest working performers, here's former on-the-road guest Nathan May with his brand new single, appropriately titled, Home. And running across my feet I'm standing as it's singing down And the thunder is cracking through the air I close my eyes and listen As it's rumbling and rolling everywhere You know I love the rain I'm feeling back home again When I'm far away from home I let the great clouds gather in my mind Watch the raindrops on the dirt Little circles come and kiss the earth Steam is rising from the stream Drifting up to leave this empty town Water will surrender to the heat And I won't be hanging around Well, you know I love the rain I'm feeling back home To step out of that door And when I smell the land I'm gonna lift my head back And breathe it in And I will feel the water on my skin Falling from that garamilla sky 
know I love the rain I'm feeling back home again You know I love the rain I'm feeling back home again You know I love the rain I'm feeling back home Back home again is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. 